Welcome back to the Action Sit Rep. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Deb. And we are so excited. We have an extra special guest for you today. CJ Cowan is here to talk about the Paramount Plus series Halo and his experience, which is extensive because CJ was the cinematic director for a long time with uh, with Bungie, working on Halo for over 10 years, animating and editing all the cameras during cinematics, shipped Halo 2, 3, ODST, and Reach, worked on Destiny, and is now the franchise creative director for Probably Monsters, and makes him extra special, he's family. So welcome to the podcast, CJ. What's going on, cousin? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah, we are so excited. Was thrilled when I saw Halo was going to be a TV series, and I was like, Yes, now I get an excuse to talk to CJ on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a family reunion. And like a little family reunion. Yeah, so fun. I just showed up for the free food. <laughs> <laughs> the casseroles? Yeah. A hot dish. So, so first, so I just want to know when you found out that Halo was going to be made into a TV series, how did that feel? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because... Well, you know, I, I haven't worked on Halo for more than 10 years now. So I, although I was on it for a, a really long time, you know, we've moved on and, and, and did other things uh, with Destiny and, and, and other career choices. And so it's been a while, but even way back then, there was a whole lot of effort and talk about, you know, getting a movie made or getting a television show made. And, you know, we, there were scripts that were floating around and, you know, pitches done down in Hollywood. And so there was a, there was a real effort from, from Bungie and especially Microsoft to, you know, turn this into, into a movie. And so when I, when I heard it was finally actually happening, um, you know, it, it, it brought smiles to my face because now having all that time in, you know, behind me, I can come to, into it as a, as a fan, as opposed to being someone, you know, heavily invested and heavily involved. I can, I can really enjoy it for, for what it is, which is, which is pretty cool. So I'm super excited to see it finally hit the screen and uh, been experiencing it for the past few weeks. Yeah. You get some, a little distance. Don't feel quite so like tied to every little detail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, when you, when you work on something creatively, you can't help but just get locked into it and you know get really tied to tied to it. it it's it's a relationship you know and so it kind of becomes your baby and you you don't really want anybody else touching it or, or doing the wrong things with it and uh you know all, all that is all that is passed with you know water under the bridge and uh, it's it's really cool to cool to see it finally uh you know because it's it's such a a rife universe that is you know, so much uh, cool stuff going on inside inside the world, and um, you know I, I think uh, it it deserves some storytelling above and beyond uh, just the just the video game side of it. Kelsey and I were talking um, before you came on about you know just what we thought about the show in general, and me not being a gamer at all, I think in a lot of ways has has done me a favor in watching this show because I sort of like you now have no no ownership over it. I'm not invested in the characters. I'm not invested in the canon of it. You know, no I just watch this as pure television and I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I like these characters. I like the action. I think, I think it's, it's got a lot going on and the world building is really cool. And I think that when I talk to other people who are gamers and have been playing this for years, most of them 
are loving it. They don't care that it isn't following the games or the story. You know, they are loving the expansion of the characters for this and the expansion of the worlds. I gotta say, man, <laughs> you don't see that on social media very often. Usually it's like, we're attacking because you changed the color of this, you know. <laughs> Those are always the loudest voices, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Um, so I have to say, as somebody with absolutely zero knowledge of this show, of these characters coming in, of, of Halo at all, I am loving this. I that's that's really good to hear. That's it's you know um, my my wife is the same way. She's she's really been enjoying it. And uh, again, you know, much much like you, Deb, uh, you didn't have really an experience with the with the games themselves or the story inside the games. And she's she's really gotten into the characters. And uh, yeah, I think they're doing a great job of bringing some humanity to to John and, and to Cortana and and to even even Halsey. I think is a, a really powerful character in mm -hmm. in this show. And it's uh, been been fun to watch watch those characters develop in their conflicts amongst each other develop so it's been it's been cool so uh, speaking of bringing humanity to to john to master chief let's talk about that because i know <laughs> when you and i were talking about you mentioned uh the helmet off and <laughs> and having opinions and you know it's such a different thing like, your main character in a video game you feel so attached because they're an extension of you you get to build that relationship. You care about them because you are part of them. You 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 play them. Whereas a, a character on a TV show, you care about them because of who they are separate from you. You can't have that connection in the same way. Um, I will say though, as someone who has played not, I'm not, not extensively, not all the Halo games, sorry, um, but has played some, I was surprised when he took off the helmet because I was kind of expecting like a Mandalorian type thing. But I can also understand the need for that. And I love published Schreiber. I think it's phenomenal, but I'm curious about your reaction to that. Well, I, I think you nailed it, Kelsey. I think the, the storytelling is different in video games versus, versus uh, linear media. And this is a, this is a perfect example of that. I, I will answer that question by telling, telling a story uh, pretty, pretty early on in my career. I was interacting with a, with a Halo fan. I don't even remember where we were at, um, but he was probably, I don't know, 13, 14, something like that. And really, really excited to talk to me about the game. And I was asking him his favorite part of the story. And he was like, oh, you know, it's eyes got all lit up and he got all excited. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's when Master Chief does this thing. And then I, I jump out of the ship and I land on the thing and Chief does this. And I, I realized, and it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. He was swapping back and forth between using the word Master Chief and using the word I to describe what happened in the story and it it kind of like dumbfounded me because man that's that's really really cool you know and and I thought well okay well maybe he's using the word I when he's actually in control of the chief and using master chief when it's a cinematic or a movie and you know he doesn't have control but he wasn't he was kind of flipping it back and forth uh, you know uh, kind of randomly as he was telling the story and it's so cool because there's no other storytelling medium that would result in that. You give that mm -hmm. same kiddo a book or put him in front of a television show or you know, a theatrical performance or really any, any form of storytelling. And he's not gonna use the word I to describe what happened. And I think that's such a unique thing for, for video games. Really the, the only other place where it crops up occasionally is, you know, some, some sort of like, um, you know, tabletop board board game like you know D D or something where you're really like role playing a role playing a character. But other than that, um, video games are are really special like that. And I think 
as an industry, we're still pretty young. We're still, you know, finding our way, especially on the storytelling side. And we're just scratching the surface on, you know, what you're able to do to, to really hit that, that connection with the, with the player on the couch. And thinking back on, on the days of Halo, when I was involved, there's so many, many discussions about what is the, what is the player experience on the couch as they're, as they're experiencing this? And how can we make it really feel like it is them inside the Master Chief's armor, you know? And so that led to a bunch of decisions about, hey, no, we, we don't show his face. We don't take the helmet off because we, you know, as soon as you do that, you start building a disconnect between the chief as a character on the screen, as, as your avatar, and then the, and the player on the couch. We, we endeavored to put as few words as possible into his mouth, right? And you, know, you look back on the, the line count for Master Chief across the games, there's, there's not a whole lot of lines that, that we gave him. And we, we, we mostly let the, let the story, you know, um, kind of rotate around him as opposed to be, you know, coming out of his mouth. The other thing we spent a lot of time thinking about is we, we tried to make sure that the player on the couch was learning about something at the same time the chief was learning about it. Um, so then, then we could have the chief react to this thing and, and, you know, take, take the player on the couch on a, on a journey for that, for that reaction, right? We didn't want to disconnect what the player on the couch knew versus what the chief knew, which is, you know, a common theme that you see all the time in movies and, and television shows where the audience knows something that the character on the screen doesn't. That's not something we want to do with, with an avatar that you, you know, that you control. So all that being said, the, I mean, there was no doubt in my mind that when this ever got to a movie or, or a television show that they would have to take the helmet off because the storytelling is, is completely different, you know, for, for the challenges that, that the showrunners and the writers and, and the actors have on, on the show, they're, they're trying to make a connection to the people on the, on the couch watching, watching the show. And you, you can't make a connection if you never see Pablo's eyes, if you never see his facial expression, if you don't, if you don't see his naked butt, right. To, to really feel his, <laughs> feel his humanity and, and remind you know, people on the couch that, Hey, there's a, there's a human inside that suit. He's not just a cyborg. He's not a robot. Um, and so, yeah, I, it did not surprise me at all. I think, I think they handled it really well. They just kind of got out ahead of it and just you know, started it right, right off the bat. I also want to compliment the costume design because they did such a great job with this under armor suit and, you know, allowed mm -hmm. scenes where the, where the green armor wasn't there and it was just his undersuit. And, and it really just, um, you know, made, made him more of a human character that, that you wanted to connect with. So I thought they did a great job with that. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if there are things that have happened to the character as this, uh, you know, as this season has gone on that you just thought, wow, I wish I had thought of that, or <laughs> yeah, that was a really cool thing to do. Well, I, I think the, the thing that I've enjoyed the most about the show is the relationship with Chief and Cortana, because the relationship on the television show is, is very different than, than it is mm -hmm. in, in the game, you know, and, and the, you know, Cortana is a, a voice in your head and, you know, we, we used Cortana quite a bit to, you know, prompt the player to, to do things and to push them along in the, in the, in the plot. And there, you know, there was certainly a, a emotional connection between her and the chief, but it, it was harder to, harder to get across in, in that format. And I think what, what they're doing here with, um, 
you know, the, the relationship is, is different, you know, how, how they're introduced is different and, and the, you know, kind of the little bit of conflict between the, the two of them and, you know, Chief wanting, wanting her out of, out of his head a little bit, yeah. I, I think is, is a lot, is, is really fun, you know, when he, when yeah. he asked her to shut up mm-hmm. and when he's like, you know, I can't hear myself think like those, those moments are um, very different than anything we could have done in the, in the game, because we, we wanted the player to, to really, really want to protect Cortana and, and want to trust her as an ally. And so we, we couldn't, couldn't introduce that conflict um, as, as easily. And I, I think they're doing a great job with that. Yeah, I, I have to say, I think the thing that I found first annoying about her and now brilliant about her is how casual her voice is. Uh, she actually, and here it is, Kelsey, going to work Thunderbirds are going. <laughs> She reminds me of Eos, of Eos from Thunderbirds Are Go, that she has a very casual voice. She's not what we usually think of as an AI voice. And, you know, immediately for me, it was like, ooh, ooh, I don't like her. And now I'm like, okay, I get it, you know? Yeah, I do like her. She's pretty cool. Jen, Jen is absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, I've obviously known her for a really long time. She, she lives in my neighborhood, so we see each other uh, fa- fairly often. And um, we, we, uh, we, we both got really, really excited when she got cast and, you know, was, was flying down to Hungary to, to shoot. And, and uh, you know, she, she did a great job of not saying anything about the, about the show. And I haven't, <laughs> I haven't uh, had a chance to see her since, uh, since we started watching it, but uh um, really excited to sit down with her and, and talk about her experience now that, now that it's coming out. But I, I, I'm so pleased that they uh, ended up using her as, as Cortana's voice because her voice is just so, so iconic and so tied to the franchise. And in my mind, it's, it's the voice that you think of when you're playing the game because it's the voice you hear the, hear the most of. Um, and you're, you're right, Deb, that, that friendliness, that naturalness, I, I think is an important part of that, of that character. So I want to ask you about one of the things that I, I think, struggle with in video game when it's translated to TV shows or movies is when it becomes sort of like a game of find the Easter eggs or or when it becomes. And, and I think they really suffered from this in the first episode in particular, where they try to do too much of the nod to the video game. They change the perspective. They show the like the HUD, like where you're looking out of the helmet, the, like the, the quick weapons changes, even the sounds from the like weapons sounded like from the video game. And it feels like, I never quite understand what they, it feels like it pulls you out of the story. And I'm like, do you think that the gamers are, <laughs> that's what they're waiting for? Like, I don't really <laughs> understand what that that like desire for that because it just feels like that's not the nod that like they just want to see master chief they don't like give a shit that like you're like shooting for like look like you're shooting from him because you know you're not shooting from him right right and it's it's a different feeling too like any 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 sort of first person perspective on television always breaks my brain a little bit because it does not give you the same feeling as being in first person because you don't have like that's that's the whole point it's interactive you have control that's that's why first person is so important in in a lot of video games because you you just you get that feeling of being in the shoes that you just cannot get if you're if you're watching on a on a show no i I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of filmmakers that, you know, enjoy games and this, this is their way to, to touch it, uh, and, 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 you know, kind of bring their creative, uh, you know, choices to, 
to the, the, the characters and, and the story. But, you know, I, I, the, the things that, well, here's what I'll say that that first episode was, was had a lot of weight on his shoulders. Right. So pilots are always rough. You're, yeah. you're trying to introduce so many characters. And, and I think particularly in that, in that action sequence on the, on, on the tail end of the first episode, you know, they're, they're trying to establish that there's conflict between, you know, humanity and the military arm of humanity. They're trying to establish how, how completely badass the covenant is and uh, scary and terrifying, you know, they are, you're, you're trying to also bring in the Spartans and introduce, you know, how powerful the Spartans are and how different they are from the rest of the military and the rest of rest of humanity. Also, you're, you've got humanity that are scared of the Spartans, but then need them to come in and, yeah. and then the, the battle between, okay, yes, the covenant is terrifying, but then the Spartans are also terrifying and they come in and kind of wipe, wipe the covenant out um, in, during the you know, action sequence. Um, there's, there's a lot of weight there. And, and I, I have to say, you know, watching it for the first time, I'm like, okay, you know, it's, it, there's, there's a lot going on. And it was, it was, it was fine. I, I, I think they really hit their stride with the, um, the action sequence um, in, uh, I guess it was episode five with the- Oh, with the, yeah. I was going to ask about that because that, that to me was the same. We were talking about that before the podcast too. It was a phenomenal yeah. action scene. Yeah. Well, we can get to that in a minute. I, I, yeah. I just want to say like, it's, it's so hard, you know, landing a pilot, you know, landing mm-hmm. a pilot with a bunch of action and then also trying to make, you know, like you said, Easter egg nods towards, you know, because there's a bunch of fans who are like, this is the first time they're seeing an energy sword, you know, in, in on, a, on a television show, right? Um, having wielded one, you know, for, for many, many years across many games and, you know, seeing it for the first time in, in with, you know, high-end special effects and everything is, is a big deal. So, you know, I, I, I got to give them credit because... If, if there's anything that I've learned about making entertainment, especially, you know, big entertainment like this, there's so many cooks in the kitchen. There's so many people who have ideas about what needs to be in the show and what doesn't need to be in the show and what's good and what's not. And just the fact that it got made, uh, you, you got to give a big golf clap to everyone involved because that that is not an easy task. And, you know, I, I got to give them credit for getting getting through that first episode and then really starting to hit their stride over the, the episodes following that and, and finding finding their groove and, you know, finding finding that balance of you know, how much Easter eggs do you put in there? How, how many nods to the game do you put in before it becomes too much, before it becomes just a, almost a parody of the game? And I think they're, they're finding that balance and they're, they're getting better and better at it with each episode that I've, that I've seen. I haven't seen, I've, I've only watched up through episode six. That's what we're watching, or that's what we're talking about today, right? Yeah, that's all okay. we've seen as well. Okay. It, I, seven just came out, I think, right? Right, right. I haven't, yeah. I haven't watched that one yet. So speaking of the the action scene, episode five has a phenomenal action scene. I mean, that whole battle scene was really great. But I'm but I'm interested in particular in your sort of directing experience. When you are looking at directing, you know, an action scene the way that that they do that on a video game versus on a TV game, how, how like because obviously we can think about things like first person perspective when you're like actually like shooting and and those kinds of things, but especially those big cut scenes, which are always like so beautiful. Can you talk a little bit about those sort of differences and what you're trying to capture in the action scenes between those two sort of mediums? Of course, no, it's a, it's a great question. For, for one thing, I, I'd say that uh, when, we're, when we're sitting down and writing cinematics for, for a game like Halo, I, I remember conversation after conversation of, 
discussion of whenever it started to trend towards action, the discussion was, well, this should be gameplay. It shouldn't be a cinematic, mm -hmm. you know, especially if Chief was involved in the action, right? And, you know, there were, there were many scenes that were like, originally planned as a cinematic and then eventually turned into a, you know a combat encounter that was that was actual gameplay because you know you're putting the player on the couch in the shoes of the master chief and if he's doing something really really cool you want you want the player to be the one in control right um and so the the kind of the you know soft rule that we had in our head was we we should only do things in cinematics that there, that there isn't a button for you know like there's not a button to talk and so that's a great example of chief can chief can say lines in cinematics we don't really have him say lines in, in gameplay because you know you, that that's a disconnect from the interactivity of the of the player so that being said there there definitely were some action scenes that that i was involved in and, and directed um they typically um were more you know, space battle, you know, vehicular, you know, stuff, because that that was kind of a step apart from the the typical gameplay that that we we usually put the the player into. Um, and so there was there was quite a bit of that. And then there were a handful of gunfights. But for for me, we, we you know, at least in my experience, we never really did anything as as crazy as as this scene that we're we're talking about in episode five, um, with with all the, you know, several squads of of covenant and spaceships and banshees and and uh you know the the, the whole kit and caboodle um the the one thing i'll well there was there's two moments in in that uh fight that that made me smile big time um one was this was the first time that uh, cortana was with chief during a gun battle and so you know that's that's a really common occurrence in in the game, and so you're constantly hearing her voice as as you're as you're playing the game, and so you know her commentary on on John's uh, you know uh, gunplay and stuff was 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 really great. And his, I forget what what she said to prompt it, but she was giving him you know gun advice, and and his response was, "I I know how the game is played, Cortana." I thought that yeah. was a really well written. Mm -hmm written line really well delivered that's that's the type of easter egg to to me that really nails it you know that's like hey it's yes. a, it's a nod to the game but it's not but a... it also works in the moment right absolutely yeah. it's real absolutely. doesn't take you yeah. doesn't take you out yeah no I, I thought it was really fantastic um the other thing I'll, I'll say that like i i never would have um well we, we we never could have done in the game was the the several shots where the Spartans were running alongside the the warthog at, at full speed while the while the hog was was going at full speed, super super cool, right? Like we we would never have done that in the game because the the warthog is something that you can drive. It's a vehicle. It's 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 there for a design purpose, which is hey, I need to get across the map faster, right? And so right. if I could run as fast as I could drive the warthog, <laughs> why would I get in the warthog? Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but. Um, this this is this is great because it, it's a really clear, easy to comprehend visual example of how badass the Spartans are that they could run alongside a warthog at you know 50 miles an hour and keep up with it while they're while they're shooting things. Like I, I just thought that was uh, a really really great choice. Yeah, I don't even have a clue what they do in the game, and I thought it was pretty badass. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm like wow. I want to be able to run that fast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that being said, there are several, several, you know, uh, nods in that, in that scene to, to gameplay, right? Like him leaping up, up onto the Manchi and boarding it, um, is something that you can do in the game. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's a great example of like early, early on 
we would have done that in a cinematic because there wasn't a button for it. Um, but starting in Halo 2, there was there was a button to if if uh, certain factors were met as far as you know speed and proximity and stuff. Um, if a vehicle was was next to you and someone was in it, you could you could hit a button and pull them out of the vehicle and get into it your, yourself, right? And so, you know, seeing seeing that done on on film was uh, was was super cool. That's really cool. So is there anything that as you're watching, you're thinking, I wish that they had included this or man, I wish they had not included that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't have I, I don't have a strong example of the of the second one. Like uh, I'm too far away from it. And, you know, what wasn't in all of the design meetings and, and script meetings to, to get to where they are. And I, I give them credit for, for, like I said, getting, getting it across the finish line is, is such a, such a big hurdle. We, we, we don't know where the, where the final episodes are, are going to go mm -hmm. in this, in this first season. But, but one thing I'm keeping a, a, a really close eye on that I'm, I'm excited about is the, um, is the profits. So the aliens who are you know, in their little floating chairs and, you know, clearly running things on the, on the side of the covenant, um, those characters, yeah, I, I spent a ton of time with, especially on on Halo Two. Um, there's there's three of them. There's the Prophet of Mercy, the Prophet of Regret, and the Prophet of Truth. I, I think they're really interesting characters, and they're they're doing a a fun job of, you know, trying to make them a little bit more relatable than than we did in the games. They're a little less alien ish uh, in their facial features and and stuff, but at the same time, they they're not speaking English, which is which is cool. But uh, the the thing I'm 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 really interested to see is hey, you know, in in season one, do does does Chief ever in, encounter one of them? Does he ever you know get, get to interact with with these prophets? Because it certainly happened in, in the game, uh, you know, a few times. And in fact, you know, a big a big part of of Halo Halo two and part of three was you know trying to hunt hunt those guys down. And I guess so this is pretty funny so in in halo 2 um there's a there's a mission where you you're you know you're tasked with going to going to kill one of one of those prophets i, I think it was mercy but i can't remember remember exactly it's been a long been a long time ladies um but um he, you know you you fight across this you know big level on on halo and you get into this this huge kind of cathedral like structure where the prophet is, uh, you know, having a, a sermon essentially, and that's being, you know, televised to to all of the covenant. And you you get in there and you fight past his past his bodyguards, and then and then you you go to go to kill him. And you know, for the for the game, <laughs> you know, you've you've got this kind of essentially old dude in a wheelchair that's floating. <laughs> And your master chief, you know. So how how do you make the gameplay, you know, interesting and exciting and fun and and, um, we, you know, you we essentially one of the designers basically took the 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 boarding uh, mechanic that I was talking about earlier, boarding vehicles, and used it on this. And so you had to get close enough to him where you could board board his chair. Uh huh. And then and then you'd punch him in the face. And you had to do that a few times in in order to in order to get across the the finish line and you but know, does he have a squad of those worm thingies that protect him too <laughs> well we should come back to the worms in in a little bit um he's, he's definitely got a I'd bunch really of... like to not go back to the worms <laughs> <laughs> um he's, he's got a bunch of uh brood and and elite uh bodyguards that you have to kind of fight awesome. through so there's waves of that that you have to deal with while you you know try to get... and and 
I think in that encounter, the the chair had some sort of like beam weapon or something, so he could he could fire it at you. But anyways, we we get through all of this work to to you know make this encounter you know work and get it up and running and 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 make it fun. And and I very distinctly remember a bunch of us standing around the screen while one of the designers was playing it and just like shaking our heads, like what what the hell are we doing? We just made a video game about chief you know boarding a wheelchair and 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 beating up this old dude like i i don't i i do not believe that that uh encounter would ship uh uh today but you know this was you know 15 or 20 years ago uh and we're like yeah well you know it's it's you you know we we bent over backwards to make you hate that prophet by the time you got yeah. to that to that moment he's so I, an I, I think evil old guy yeah he's he, is. An evil he is power. no discrimination here <laughs> so uh if if the tv show gets to the point where chief and the prophets are fighting i'm really curious to you know see how they how they resolve that because you know they've they've got you know different rules for linear media so we'll we'll, yeah, right. we'll see what the they, they got different tools in their in their toolbox for for how that might work but yeah the worms though cool. didn't like the worms deb they were pretty freaking cool <laughs> but yeah i don't really need to see them every day <laughs> <laughs> well the the really interesting thing is the worms and i god i'm i'm sorry i don't remember the the name of them but you know the covenant is made up of a bunch of different alien races right and this is this is one of them but you you in the game you never really encounter them as a swarm of worms like that you encounter them the swarm of worms kind of uh, turning into a, a bi I, bipedal alien character with mm. a bunch of armor around it called a hunter and so i i think a, a lot of a lot of people playing the game didn't realize the hunters were actually a big swarm of worms they just thought they were you know these big armored you know things that you had to fight that were that were actually you know pretty tough they come in pairs and they protect each other and it was always kind of a you know end of a level type battle or, or, or a big deal when you encountered one but it was it, it it made me smile when i when i saw uh, her her use them as you know just a swarm of worms as opposed to you know bringing in a hunter that was quite a I'd scene. be far more terrified <laughs> the worms came out yeah. <laughs> yeah it was pretty scary yeah especially when they just dropped down in a big glob <laughs> very inescapable um, for sure exactly. those, for like sure. inevitable inevitable deaths so I'm curious so CJ can you talk I guess a little bit about your experience and aside from the show just with Halo you know the game in general and I mean just you you <laughs> you get on this job you start working with Bungie and then Halo is fucking huge I mean <laughs> like when did you realize it was going to be the phenomenon that it that it became and and what sort of was that experience like uh that's it's a great question and you know i so i came on at the very beginning of halo 2 um so halo 1 had already shipped um and i was working for a different game company down in down in california and uh got got the xbox which was a really big deal because it was the it was the very first xbox and everybody was excited about it you know a new console coming into into the market um, but there weren't a lot of great games when you know the xbox first launched um, except everybody started talking about halo and i, I think you know it, initially even microsoft didn't realize that that was going to be their flagship title for the xbox um you know 
because Bungie was still working on it to the, you know, to the last possible second. And it kind of, you know, came in hard across the finish line and then, you know, showed up and all of a sudden, wow, this is, this is really, a, a really, really great game. And I, I remember um, bringing my Xbox home and trying a, trying a few different games. I forget what it shipped with. It was like Azeric or something. And I think there was a racing title. Um, and then Halo was the, was the third game that I, you know, I uh, got with the with the console and I put that in and I played it and finished it in one session like I stayed up all night like really got into it I hadn't seen anything like it in a, in a long time you know there there was not a first person shooter on a console before this that was that was really successful certainly certainly one that didn't you know tell told a story like this and mm-hmm. as I as I finished that that game I you know I very distinctly remember being I I, I want to work with that team like i if if i'm gonna make games and tell stories and games that's that's where that's where i want to be and uh so i immediately started you know putting together a demo reel and you know applying and um i ended up at bungie you know uh, probably five or six months later so really early on in the process of, of halo 2 so by the time i got there halo was already big you know and, and successful there was a there was a lot of you know energy and excitement around the sequel coming out halo 2 but i can't even describe how wild it was when Microsoft really put their, you know, their marketing hammer behind making Halo 2 a, a really, really big deal. You know, the the launch for for that title was just ridiculous. There were events in every single city, and you know, we we uh, they they put the the bungee crew in a, in a few buses and we drove around to you know several uh, retailers here in here in seattle and there were just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in line at midnight to to buy the game and you know we signed autographs and you know met the fans and threw out t-shirts and gave out swag and, and that sort of thing and it was it was a it was a big party it was it was really really cool uh to to be a part of you know something like that when you when you're a storyteller you you want an audience for your stories right mm-hmm. and um you know what what better gift is is that than the the audience of of the halo fans they're they're ravenous about the world and and its characters and um it's it's so fun interacting with them and you know a, a lot of times they know more about the backstory than i do i kind of feel like an idiot when i talk to them um so <laughs> it's uh it's 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 it is something special and you know to be part of that for 10 years i you know i, I had some really really crazy experiences be because of halo and and uh, you know just because of halo and that's you know some, something special I'll, I'll always look back on and and smile Crazy like how? <laughs> Crazy like how? Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, um, uh, when I when I was cinematics director on Halo Three, um, I, I put a lot of effort into the the tools that we had, the, the cinematic tools that we had. Um, so we we had several engineers, um, you know, working working with the cinematics team to to make our process as smooth as possible because, you know, it's the all of our cinematics are real time. You know, it's it's not it's not something that we pre-render out like a Pixar animated movie, you know, you know, you know, some of those Pixar frames, they'll, they'll spend hours rendering one frame, whereas we have to render 30 frames a second on, on, on an Xbox. Right. And so um, the, the way we treat our movies are, you know, you know, very, very different than, than how television or, or film 
did back then, although it's starting to change, you know, the, the stuff that they're doing with Mandalorian and some of the other shows is, is, is a lot of the stuff that, that we were doing, you know, back in there have been doing for, for, for a long time, you know, so some of the, some of the examples of that is because it's real time, we can, we can do things that you would never be able to do in, in television. So, you know, when the chief walks into a cinematic, we can have the gun in his hand that you had in your hand when you were just playing, you know, regardless of what, whatever gun it was, you know, um, and some of the later games, you could change the look of the chief's armor and that would be reflected, you know, in, in the cinematic we shipped in, I want to say 10 or 12 different languages. And so for all of our facial animation from, from the nose down, it was procedurally generated lip sync. Um, so it would match whatever language it was, it was, you were viewing it in. Um, and then the, from the from the nose up it was hand animated or facial captured in, in some of the later games and so all that real-time stuff was was really really powerful um and you know i we we got our tools to the point where i could be moving lights and stuff around on my on my pc and it was real-time connected to my xbox on my desk and, and the television screen and i could i could see those lights moving in in real time as i was moving them on my on my pc so the the iteration time was just just stupid we we could we could see the the final results as we were actually building it you know mm -hmm. and uh in those days so that was a whole lot of setup to to get to the answer uh, <laughs> one, one of the one of the crazier experiences i had was um for a while there peter jackson um was was talking about um but where actually was making games he, he made a, a king kong uh game um you know that was you know tied into the movie that he directed um but always had been a halo fan wanted to do some halo stuff and so there was some talk back and forth between Bungie and him about um uh collaborating on a on a, on a video game and we went down to down to new zealand and, and hung out with them for a little while got to got to drive their uh their warthog that uh they built for for one of their one of their shorts which was yeah, if if you uh, if you search on YouTube for Bungie Bungie Rex uh, the Warthog, you'll you'll see me on the on the gunner seat uh, in a in a Warthog as we run into a building. Uh, yeah, because uh, it was uh, well, what I won't I won't get I won't get into that. Um, but anyways, uh, during that time, Peter Jackson and his crew came up to uh, to Seattle uh, to visit the studio and you know kind of see our process and, and talk with us and. Um, he sat down at my desk for a while and I was showing him, you know, this, this workflow that, that we had. And he and his visual effects guy were just like, you know, shaking their heads. Cause they're like, we can't do anything like this in movies. Like how, you know, can, can we buy this technology from you? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. We have to, you know, have to wait, have to wait weeks in, in some instances to, to see what our shots are going to look like, you know, in, in final form. And you're doing it instantly as you're, as you're adjusting things. That's just super, super cool. And like I said, technology is advanced on the, on the film and TV side, um, you know, pretty extensively. And, and now they're, now, now they're doing things that, that we would never be able to do, but, uh, that, that was, that was a super cool moment for me. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. You know, I think it, it's just you talking about that. It makes me think of how often I get frustrated with the way a lot of people talk about video games. And in what way? <laughs> in, in, uh, in that, like, people who don't, um, who've never played or, like, think of it as, like, a kid's thing or as, like, a sort of, you know, this, like, silly hobby or whatever. And I'm like, it's immersive. It's, like, the stories that you can be a part of, the stories that, and, like I said, the, 
the way I just phrased it, that you can be a part of, as we were talking about earlier, that you can dive into the, the incredible effects that you, you see, the beautiful artistry. And when you get a good game, it is, I mean, it's not one of yours, I'm sorry, but Mass Effect, I have played that trilogy <laughs> so many fucking times. because I. So just, have I, so have I. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> um, like when you find- Is that the one your, your cartoon husband is in? <laughs> thanks Deb. is that the right one I feel like there's a story yeah. here i'm missing i have a cartoon uh, husband I, i'm not ashamed joke, joke about our our cartoon crushes you know so Got mine it. are of from course. dragon age and mass effect oh yeah i yeah, like those yeah, relations yeah. sure. i like those relationship games you know or those games where you of there's course. a lot of like not relationship games those games where you where there where it's a lot of um Fuck yes, relationship, but not not, not romantic relationships, and... but you know, building. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, although there's some of that too. There is some of that, but that's not what I exactly what I meant. Um, <laughs> okay, Kelsey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, but I just think that video games get a really short shrift. I think that people don't appreciate them for the storytelling medium and and how much is involved in them and what it is like to to play them and. I don't know. They see it as like a kid's game and don't understand how incredible it I, is. I don't know. Yeah, I, I appreciate that that perspective and 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 share it to some expe- some extent. But you know, I think as as an industry, we are starting to break that you know break yeah. that uh, perspective. Um, you know, I, I think it, it took a while to get to the point where technology could tell great stories inside video games, where it wasn't just you know a handful of pixels representing a character and you know, where, where we got to the point where we're doing, you know, better acting and better writing and, you know, uh, you know, motion capture for, for, you know, faces and, and that sort of thing. And you, you need those things to tell an emotional story, to tell a story that really resonates with the player on the couch. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I think we're still scratching the surface and I, and I think we are, but we, we are breaking strides, you know, every, every year, every year games come out that do, that tell stories in a way that, that haven't been done before. You know, when you think about a television show or a movie, you know, there it's it's a known quantity. You know, you know the people and the roles that you need to to make it. Um, there's a there's a structure to to how the storytelling needs to needs to roll out. Um, you know, and how it needs to be timed. You know, there's there's infinite possibilities in in delivering that structure. But you know, there that structure is there when you when you look at games. There, there is not that, you know, the, the genres of games run the gamut from being able to control every single line of dialogue your character says to your character not saying any lines of dialogue at all. Having a, having a character that you really role play as that you, you know, uh, really f- feel like that that's a version of you and then, you know, having the more blank avatars like like Chief is. You know, I, I think when you look at some of the more recent examples of games, then you know, especially in the indie space, um, of there's there's new voices coming into the industry and, and telling stories that that weren't really told before. You know, a lot of video game stories were about, you know, dudes with guns or or women with cleavage. And you know, as as the industry is be you know is becoming uh, ha- has more variety in in its uh, developers, uh, we're we're getting more variety in in the stories that we're telling. And I'm I couldn't be more excited about that. Because, like you said, it it brings in those people who were kind of marginalized on, you know, thinking about video games as not being for them or stories that were, you know, worth experiencing. Um, because there's there's a lot more stories out there than 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 dudes with guns. Very true. 
Very true. It breasted women with guns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta love Tomb Raider, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really makes me think of, um, I, I don't know if you've watched this yet, Kelsey, but Halt and Catch Fire. And the, the lead female character in that creates video games and she creates one that is basically a young woman's journey. And it's like the flack she took over it and the hatred that she got for it because it wasn't, and this all takes place in like the seventies and eighties. Um, so very different world, but it's interesting that the, so you see it dying down a little bit, but every once in a while, especially on social media, it's like, yikes. Okay, guys, you know, well, th those those big changes like that take take time. They 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 take a generation. You know, you know, before it was video games, it was comic books, and right. you know, everybody was like, comic books are the devil, or Dungeons and Dragons are the devil, and you know, <laughs> devil <that's>, worship. <laughs> exactly, it's it's not healthy, and it's not good stories, and it's a bad influence. And you know, there's there's certainly some examples of of all of those things in in any in any medium. Um, but I, I think you know as as more and more people grew up with comic books, it became less of a less of a thing. And, and I think you're seeing that with video games, you know, now too. You know, people, people my age don't remember a time without video games. And, you know, that's that's just increasing over over time. And I think um, especially, like I said, as as a more variety and uh, examples of, of storytelling happen inside our industry those examples, you know, bring in people that, you know, wouldn't have played video games before that that's just going to go away as it, mm -hmm. as it moves forward. Well, in both genres, comic books and video games have, you know, written the playbook have just been outstanding in growing the specific genre into, you know, other genres where people who don't aren't fans of comic books or, or games. Now it's a part of, everyday culture for people who just like movies or TV shows. Oh, of course. Like I mean, Marvel is such a great example of that. Exactly. I, I, I wasn't really a comic book guy growing up. And, you know, some of my, some of my good friends definitely were, I, I come into the Marvel, Marvel movies differently than they do, but it still captures me too. Right. Like, I, you know, I think that's, yeah. it's just such a, it's such a great example of world building. I mean, a franchise, franchise and world building is, is the thing that, you know, I think about on a daily basis and building, building a world that, um, a bunch of different stories can be told in across a bunch of different mediums. I, I think it's the Holy grail and it's, you know, it's, it's the sign of a sign of a great franchise, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm really excited to see, you know, Halo finally get to the point where, you know, cause they've, they've had, they've had novels, they've had comics, you know, certainly, certainly toys and, and, you know, mm -hmm. plenty, plenty of video games, but, but seeing them break through to the, to the linear media side, um, I, I, I hope it brings in Deb, uh, more fans like you that you know, uh, get to get to see this this world, which I think is is super super compelling and, and interesting. Yeah. With a, with a and you know we had, in in the first six episodes we've really only scratched the surface of you know some of the interesting things in, in my mind of this world. So there's, um, I, I imagine they'll be going to places uh, in in the coming episodes and, and seasons um, that uh, you, know, you 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 don't see coming. Yeah. Yeah. So really quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really quick, um, speaking of franchise, I know you cannot talk about any real specifics, but I do want to touch on as franchise creative director. It's like literally in your title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
probably Monsters, your new company, which you helped form. Can you talk a little bit about taking that step to leaving a big established company like Bungie to create your own and what that was like and sort of what y'all's vision is? Of, of course, I, I can't say too much, you know, about five years ago or so, uh, I did make the call to leave Bungie and it was quite honestly a, a really emotional, hard, hard decision for me because I'd been there for almost 15 years. And, um, you know, I, I think I was number 30 or something when I, when I was first hired. And by the time I left, there were over 700 people there. And so the, wow. the company had evolved and, and changed quite a bit. And I, I was looking for something different. Uh, a group of us, you know, kind of all had similar similar feelings about starting something different. And looking looking back, if I had known the how how long a journey would be to, to get a startup up and running, um, I, I don't know if I would have done it. But uh, uh, now now that we're here, I, I couldn't be prouder of of a company that has has grown to over two hundred people. We we just uh, announced that we secured our our Series A round at uh, investment at a uh, uh, over two hundred or two hundred fifty million dollars. Um, we've got several several games in development across uh, several teams, and there I couldn't be more excited about um, the things that we're that we're doing. So it's it's been a it's been a blast, and uh, you know we we can't talk about our games yet, but uh, that that time is is rapidly approaching, and and couldn't be more stoked about that. Can you get, just give me an idea of what it's like when you have a team working on a new game? Like, what's a day like for them? Oh God, um, it varies so rapidly um, from game to game and team to team, and then even position to position. You, you know, you look at something like uh, Destiny that has you know hundreds of people working on it that are you know just everything that you could imagine they're they're working on there's there's artists who are you know painting textures there's animators who are you know making motions there's you know musicians who are writing music or creating sounds um, there's you know vo actors recording voices there's engineers doing all kinds of tools and technology and making sure the rendering works like all of those days are very different from one another and then you know you you go over to a smaller team, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, an example, one, one of the teams inside probably monsters, you know, right now probably has 15 or 20 people on it. And so the, you know, everybody's wearing more hats and, uh, you know, focused, you know, more on, you know, prototypey stuff. And it, it, it really just, it depends on, on what stage of development you're talking about it, you know, in the, in the early concept phases, it's about, Hey, what is the thing that we're making and why are we making it? Is it, is it worth making? Um, what's, what's the audience for, for this thing, you know, like, uh, which affects, you know, how much budget, you know, we, we want to give that project because if we're only going to sell 13 copies, we don't want to spend $40 million on it. Right. <laughs> and, and then as, as the, as the idea starts to coalesce, then it's about executing on that idea and iterating on it and making it better and filing off the rough, rough edges uh, as much as you can. And then finding that fun, um, because, you know, for the, for the, first X number of days, sometimes months and years of a project, it's, it's not fun. You're just trying to get it up and up and running. And at some point, okay, now it's running. Now let's, now let's make it fun. And then you try to polish it as, as much as you can before, before it's taken away from you and, and handed off to the public. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. You know, and, and I, I think you know, it's similar, but different from a, from a television show, you know, they, they, they write and they, they polish that script as much as they can before they, they get to set and sometimes, you know, while on set and then they shoot everything 
and then it's like okay they get they get back to the studio and like okay we've we've got all these all these shots how how are we going to put it together in the in the best possible way and then once that's done it's like how are we going to beautify these shots and and help communicate the story as as much as we can um so the the things that you do you know from, from the start of the project to the end of the project you know are constantly evolving i think the the big difference with games is the closer you get to shipping the more it is about stability and the more it is about you know polishing bugs and making sure it's not going to crash and you know uh, making sure the technology you know works while you're while you're polishing off the the last rough edges but it's never finished i'll say this back back when back when i was working on halo it, there was a point where it was finished it would get printed to a, to a disc and then go get manufactured and then you know, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and you couldn't touch it again, you know, right. and that was always a really, really hard moment for us as devs, you know, when, when Harold, our, our CEO was like, okay, the, the source depot is locked. No one can make any more changes. We're, we're printing discs now, you know, because we have to hit our ship date, um, because everybody, you know, still had things that they wanted to fix, you know, now, nowadays, um, most games ship into a live environment where, mm -hmm. you know, they, they're not even printed on discs anymore. They're just, they're just digital downloads on, on the Xbox or on, on the PlayStation or, you know, even the Switch. And as soon as you go digital download, that means that you can update those, those digital bits. And so almost every game these days, you know, they, they ship it and, and then they have some number of months left to do your day one patch. And so, you know, once, once it actually releases, um, there's, there's an additional download to, you know, fix all right. the stuff that the developers were trying to get in, <laughs> in the last minute and didn't quite get. Um, and then oftentimes there's, there's patches after that, um, or even, you know, updates with additional content and stuff. And so, you know, it's kind of a, I mean, they call it a live game for, for a reason. It's, it's, it's still live. It's still evolving. Mm -hmm. It's still, you know, getting better. And, you know, there's, there's good and bad to that. You know, I, I think from the, from the fans perspective, from the audience perspective, it's like, oh, well, you know, the, these bugs that never would have been fixed back on Halo 2, you know, now, now can get patched and, and updated and, and, you know, make the game better. Um, and from the, from the developer's perspective, it's, you know, in, in some ways it's, it's hard because you don't have that hard line anymore of like, oh, I can't ever touch this again, game again. You know, you're, you're kind of reacting to what's working and what's not out in the live environment. And, you know, um, uh, the fans have opinions and not all of those opinions <laughs> are the same. And so now, now you're making decisions on, is this gun really too powerful? Do we need to, do we need to nerf it? Or is it just a few yeah. loud voices talking about it being too loud, or, you know, talking about it being too powerful. Um, and you know, there's that balance there and, you know, lots of meetings and decisions that, that happen on a daily basis of like, what are we going to fix or what are we going to leave or what is by design or what, what needs to be improved, you know, while they're making new content for the game. So, you know, it's a, it's a completely different industry than it was, you know, 10 years ago and it, it continues to evolve. Yeah. I, I imagine I can't like back and forth. I just was thinking about a, a seeing a friend talk online about. I guess last week about playing a beta and and saying she was playing and there's like a glitch and then it had deleted like her whole save file and she sent like the report in and the only thing she got back from the developer was well that's terrifying <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no there's some terrifying things that can happen for sure <laughs> yeah, bugs bugs are bugs are no joke so um uh, on Halo uh, 3, 
uh, I was Cinemax director and I did all the, all the lighting uh, and camera work for every single shot across all the cinematics. And, you know, it was mostly animation was, was pretty close to being done. We were at the point where we were polishing effects and, you know, getting sounds in and doing, you know, minute adjustments on the, on the animation. Um, and that's when I came in to do, you know, the lighting pass to, to make the lighting look good. Um, and I would, you know, I, I spent all, and we were kind of waiting on some, some code to get in. So, so I could do that at a, at a efficient pace. I finally came in, started working on it and got, you know, four or five cinematics looking really, really good over the course of a day. And I came in the next morning and went to watch them and all the lighting was completely borked. It was like, it, it looked horrible. Um, and I went to the engineer and I'm like, Hey, this worked yesterday. And now, now it doesn't. And I didn't even get latest. I didn't change anything in, in any of the code on my machine. It's still like, it's different than what it was yesterday. We spent weeks trying to track down what this was. And I kept, I kept lighting scenes. And then the next day they, they would look horrible. And wow. finally, I, finally, I, we realized that, you know, cause when I'm, when I'm working on a scene, I've got the game up and running and I, I would, you know, control the chief over to the spot where the cinematic happened. And then I'd start working in the cinematic. Right. Um, and we finally made the realization that whatever chief was looking at when I stopped moving him was affecting was, was basically the, the baseline for the lighting. And so in some, some wow. cases I'd walk over and I'm, I was looking at something bright and in other cases I'd walk over and I was just like looking at the floor or something, <laughs> something dark. And those two differences would completely change the lighting change that I was, light, that yeah. I was doing. And um, so it took us a long time to find that out, but like, that's, that's the sort of thing, you know, especially, you know, towards the tail end that you're banging your head against the wall, trying to, trying to make work um, and, and get across the, you know, finish line to shipping. We, we, we often joke in the, in the gaming industry that, you know, it's, it's just like making a movie, except we're inventing and building the film camera while we're shooting the movie. <laughs> You know, um, so nothing could go wrong. It's fine. It's yeah, totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, CJ, thank you so much for spending so much time chatting with us. We really appreciate it. It has been my pleasure. Uh, thank you for being such great hosts. Oh, thank you. Super nice meeting you. <laughs> ditto, ditto. Perhaps I might have to play Halo. <laughs> you you oh, need to. Oh my you God. Need to. Deb even saying like like might on a game, that's like life changing. Deb, you got no, it. I have nothing against it. games. It's just not. My no, thing. I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're missing out on some great stories, and and clearly you're a fan of stories. So exactly. uh, think think of the stuff that you're missing.